Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Believe in Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Tori Jones. Along with me is my co-host, Stephen Vaughn. These episodes have a video version on YouTube on my second streaming channel, Blazers Uprise Live. And if you're watching on YouTube, we have audio versions of these. There should be a link in the YouTube description for you to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you want to. This is episode number three. We're into September, and we have a trade to talk about. Donovan Mitchell gets traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. A shocking trade. Cleveland comes in at the last minute. And I think there are some narratives that can be compared with Cleveland and with Portland in regards to a small backcourt. And it's just a fascinating trade in which to cover and brings up a lot of good conversational points that we'll get into on this podcast anyway. Steven, what's going on, man? Not much, Tori. Uh, just hanging out. Uh, kind of excited for the season, man. It's a little over a month away, and then the season starts, man. So it's, it's coming up real quick, and yeah, this trade, crazy trade out of nowhere, man. It's a real interesting talking point for sure. Yeah, we had a trade to talk about on the last podcast, which was Patrick Beverly going to the Lakers. Now you have Donovan Mitchell going to the Cavs. So still some NBA transactions taking place as we get closer to the season. Some news for us to cover. I thought this trade was absolutely fascinating, not only because it's the New York Knicks getting screwed again. The Knicks wanted Donovan Mitchell but couldn't get a trade done. Poor Knicks fans, man. They, they just they can't get out of their own way. Instead, it's Cleveland coming out of nowhere. When I saw the notification that Donovan Mitchell got traded, I was like, I was thinking, oh, we finally got traded to the New York Knicks. Good for them. And then I read the Cleveland Cavaliers and I was shocked. But it makes a lot of sense. The Cavaliers trade three unprotected future firsts in 2025, 2027, and 2029, as well as a couple pick swaps on top of Larry Markinen. Oshag Baji was the 14th pick in this past year's draft, and then Colin Sexton, who was signed and traded to Utah on a four-year $72 million deal. The Cleveland Cavaliers get back Donovan Mitchell. Steven, what was your initial reaction to this trade? What were your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts was that that's a lot. That's a lot of assets to give up for Donovan Mitchell, who is a guy that I like, right? Like, I really like Donovan Mitchell. He's a proven playoff performer. He's played well in his young career when he's in the playoffs. But to give up basically, you know, what could be six potential draft picks if you count Abaji in there, who was, like you said, a lottery pick this last season, I feel like it's a lot for Donovan Mitchell. But at the same time, if I'm a Cavs fan, I'm excited because you're all in. You're going for it. You're trying to build around Garland and Evan Mobley and put the best players around him. And that's something that in Portland never happened. So I was a little conflicted on if I thought it was a good trade or not, but it seems like a lot. Um, I think Cleveland has to be excited, though, to get an all-star uh, next to Garland and Evan Mobley. Yeah, Andy's still young. He's almost 26 years of age, but he still has multiple years of his prime left ahead of him. And then Garland's younger than him. Jared Allen's younger than him. Evan Mobley's 21 years old. So you have a young big four in Cleveland, all of which are 26 years old or younger. So they have a really long window ahead of them now. And next year, they should be pretty good. I'm wondering how good you think they'll be uh, in the East, because the East is competitive next season. No, definitely. And, you know, going back to just Donovan Mitchell, in his career, he's averaged 28 points a game in the, in the playoffs. So that's something that not a lot of guys do is they outperform their regular season performance in the playoffs, but he does it. Uh, yeah, to, to talk about where they finish in the East, I mean, it seems like 
seems like they're going to be right in that four, five range, right? That's where they were most of last season before it kind of fell apart and they kind of came back down to earth. But you talked about the young core. They still have Karis LeVert. Uh, Ricky Rubio is back there. I mean, this team's getting a little deeper. They're still young. I think it's going to take a little bit to figure out, you know, who gets the touches between Garland and Mitchell. But when it does, I mean, on paper, Tori, this really seems like a good match because they got some guys like Evan Mobley who looks like a potential defensive player of the year that's going to help out uh, with this small backcourt that they got. So I, I like it. I think they'll be around five, maybe six this year, but I think they're going to be in the actual playoffs and not be in the play in that's for sure. I'm, I'm even higher on them, man. I love Cleveland. Going into last year, they were my watch out for this team. I didn't predict them doing as well as they did, but on paper, even last season, I thought they were intriguing. You bring in Donovan Mitchell, they needed a good starting guard next to Darius Garland. I never liked the fit with Colin Sexton. I like it better with Donovan Mitchell because he's just offensively, he's a borderline superstar player in the playoffs. So you got... A backcourt which is potentially top three, top four backcourt in the league. I think they have top five offensive potential because anytime you have a backcourt like that with a big man that can finish around the rim and is a lob target and Jared Allen and then Evan Mobley's skilled offensively as well and I expect him to take a jump this year in his second season. You have the potential to be a top five offensive team and then their backcourt's small, and in a bit, I want to kind of talk about their small lack of defensive backcourt in regards to Portland's because I think their backcourts are kind of similar on the defensive end. Uh, but the thing is, they got two phenomenal rim protectors. You got Evan Mobley, who can switch out onto the perimeter and guard on the perimeter, but then he's a really good rim protector. And then Jared Allen is a really good rim protector as well. I think they have the potential to get close to being a top five defense if everything breaks right. Anytime you're talking about a team that could be top five on either end, that's a contending team to me. I think that they'll be fine defensively. They started Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and Laurie Marketed at small forward. He's not a small forward, man. That's not his best defensive position. And they were fine defensively last season with that starting lineup because they had Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. So I think their ceiling is actually true contender status. I would put them probably fourth in the East right now. The three teams above them would be Milwaukee, Miami, and then Boston, who got even better this past offseason. But I think one of those teams will probably deal with some injuries. If Cleveland's healthy, like I think they will have home court advantage in the playoffs next year. That is kind of my bold prediction as of now. No, I, I like what you're saying. Uh, you know, I think realistically only, I can say for, I, I think for sure Boston and Milwaukee are still better uh, than Cleveland, unless, you know, it really clicks and they really step up like that. But I think they could be just as good as Miami, like you said. Uh, I'm a big Miami guy. I always like Eric Spolstra and his team, Jimmy Butler. I'm always really high on him. So I think right now I put Cleveland behind Miami, but I can't, I could, you could argue that Cleveland's better than Miami right now. And I wouldn't argue with you. So I, I think it's a good trade. Like you said, I don't see a lot of potential for downfall here because they got some young guys that they're going to build together and they all seem like they can kind of fit, right? Like they got defenders, they got offensive players, they got all these type of guys, and it seems like it's going to work out there. And I, I like the coach and Bickerstaff, so seems like uh, Cleveland's on the right track. Yeah, absolutely. So in the future, I know you wanted to have this conversation in regards to the package that Cleveland gave up for Donovan Mitchell. Uh, they give up three unprotected future firsts, but that's not next year. It's not starting in 2023. It's starting in 2025. You can't trade first in back-to-back -back years. That's why it's 
2025, 2027, and 2029 unprotected first-round picks, and then they have a swap, I believe, in 2026 and 2028 so that they still have a first-round pick, and they don't violate the stipend, stepian rule, however you say it. So, that's the trade package. Do you think that's too much for Donovan Mitchell? Like, how do you feel about the potential risk of that? Well, here's my thing. If I'm Utah... And the rumor was that it was R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, two first, two unprotected first-round picks, and maybe some other stuff. Isn't that package better than what they got from Cleveland? Having to re-sign Colin Sexton to a four-year, $72 million deal. I'm with you. I'm not a big Colin Sexton guy. Never have been. I don't see where he really fits in the NBA. And so if I'm the Jazz, like, why am I not taking R.J. Barrett, who is a good player? He's still 22 years old. He just got $100 million. But... I think he could potentially be a really good starter in this league. And then quickly, I think he's solid. But then you get the protect, unprotected first as well. I thought it was weird that Utah just shut off the Knicks. And then they bring in this Cavs trade that just took it right away. And then they stopped talking to the Knicks. Like, that was that was the first thought to me is, it seemed like the Knicks were offering a better package. Yeah, the R.J. Barrett extension, I, I think, kind of put this into motion. The Knicks supposedly gave the Jazz a deadline before they would extend R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett got extended on a four-year, $120 million contract extension. That's $30 million per year. Might be a little overpaid, but at that point, he becomes much harder to trade because he's on a poison pill contract. Uh, only one of those has ever been traded. That was Devin Harris back in 2008, and he was on a, a smaller poison pill. Basically, when you sign a player on a rookie contract to an extension it creates an imbalance between their outgoing and incoming salaries it's some complicated cba stuff but makes them hard to trade essentially so that extension happened only a couple of days ago and then this trade happens i think once that extension took place uh that's when utah pivoted to this trade with cleveland and I would have probably taken the R.J. Barrett package too, especially if New York was potentially giving up three first-round picks, which I also heard might have been the case. The problem with this package is, in my opinion, anytime you trade a player of Donovan Mitchell's caliber, you want to get back an asset that you're confident in becoming an all-star caliber player, whether that's a young prospect that you think will become an all-star at some point in his career, or it's a really, really good draft pick that you're confident you can draft a future all-star with. The problem is, in this package, they didn't get either of those things. I'm not confident in Colin Sexton ever being an all-star caliber player. I'm not confident in Laurie Markin ever being an all-star caliber player. I like Oshayek Baji as an NBA-ready rookie that could have helped a good team, but I'm not super high on his long-term upside. I don't think he'll ever be an all-star. And then these picks down the line, yes, they're unprotected, but Cleveland has a core forward that, as I said, is very, very young. So if Donovan Mitchell stays in Cleveland, I don't see how those picks are not in the 20s. Because in 2029, all four of these guys will still be in their prime. I, I'm 100% with you on this. It seemed like a it seems like a lot to give up for Donovan Mitchell, but when you break it down like you just did, is it a lot? I don't know that it necessarily is. I mean, you're talking about a, some picks in the 20s probably, which those are hard to turn into really good NBA players. You can turn them into role players, and even that is not a guarantee. Right, Colin Sexton, he's still a young player. Maybe he develops, probably not. Laurie Markinen kind of is what he is. I, and that brought up the question for me, Tori, is like all this talk about trading stars, right? Rudy Gobert got traded for a bunch of picks. Donovan Mitchell gets traded for a bunch of picks. It's always the big talk here in Portland. Like Damian Lillard, what would you trade him for? 
If he was offered for six first-round picks, basically just like this Donovan Mitchell trade is, would you entertain it? Would you just shut it down right away? Like, what is your thoughts? Because for me, I at least would have to hear it out, right? I wouldn't t- I wouldn't trade Dame for this package. And I, I've been on record of saying, you know, you have to entertain trading Damian Lillard, right? Like, if you want to move forward with this franchise, you may have to look into trading Damian Lillard. But this package that the Jazz got for Donovan Mitchell wouldn't even be close to enough for Damian Lillard for me because you're not, like you said, you're not getting a guaranteed, like, good starting player in this deal. Like, Colin Sexton may not be a starting player in the NBA. Laurie Markkinen is fine, but is he really a good starter? I don't know. It seems like it seems like a lot, but at the same time, it really isn't that much. Yeah, if Dame had demanded a trade at some point, and this was the package we got back, I would have been sick. Now, Dame is better than Donovan Mitchell, so you'd expect a little bit more back, but as I said, you gotta get something that you're confident in. Now, Danny Ainge in Utah could take these three first-round picks and turn them into maybe an all-star, borderline superstar. Like, who knows? This trade is going to be dependent on what Danny Ainge does with the assets he got back, right? It's not one of those things where it's like, oh, we got, you know a star young guard who's going to be the centerpiece of our franchise some people think that's called a sex and i don't uh so it's going to be dependent on follow-up moves if you traded damian lillard you'd have to get back at least like for example an anthony simons caliber prospect like a guy who's already shown albeit only on 30 games but he's shown that he can play at a star level for at least a period of a, of a season and then he has the potential i think to be a 25 and 5 25 and 6 guy Anthony simons is still young he still has multiple years before his prime and he looked phenomenal last season so at least you need a piece like that back if you traded damian lillard plus three four five future first um you know it's three future first and then some swaps that adds up to the six i would need a bigger package than this but that's if damian lillard asked out at this point i wouldn't trade damian lillard for 60 first round picks because my thing with damian lillard is he's been loyal to portland and that should be a two-way street I don't think Portland could ever expect stars in the future to be loyal to their organization if they're not loyal to potentially their most talented blazer ever who was loyal to them, right? You can't expect Damian Lillard to be loyal to the franchise. You can't expect your future stars to be loyal to the franchise if you're not going to be loyal back to them, right? And even if you trade Dame for this monumental package, it's not guaranteed that the Blazers get any closer to contention, they have to they would have to hit on picks the development of the prospects they'd get back would have to pan out so not only is it not as sure of a thing as some people like to act like trading Damian Lillard would be like we'd get to contention in five six seven years but also from a morality standpoint with how loyal he's been and that matters for a small market I cannot entertain any trade package for Damian Lillard not necessarily because it wouldn't be good on paper but because of the loyalty that he's given the franchise I think should be extended back to him. No, I totally get what you're saying. But that leads me to another question I have for you, Tori. Just like in general NBA stance, if you're a team, and let's just say you're the GM, you're Kobe Altman of the Cleveland Cavaliers, do you mortgage your future for Donovan Mitchell because you have a young core? I think that's the big question now because uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves did that getting Rudy Gobert, now Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs. We always talked about back in the day, should the Blazers have sacrificed everything 
to put you know another star next to Damian Lillard. It never happened because Neil O'Shea was really invested in CJ McCollum, invested in the other draft picks he had. But should Neil O'Shea have done it where he tried to trade three first-round picks, maybe some pick swaps, and bring in a superstar player next to Dane? Do you think that's a viable way to build a championship contender in this in the NBA at this time? Uh, I think it depends on, and I want your opinion on this, do you think Cleveland needs another star-caliber piece in the future in order to contend for a championship? With Donovan Mitchell also? Yeah, with the core that they have right now, do you think that they need to trade for a star in the future to contend for a championship? Uh, no, I don't. Then I think it's it's absolutely worth it because with how young these guys are, they'll have five, six, seven years in order to put the right role players around them and those guys will be better five years from now and right now you're already talking about potentially four all-star caliber pieces two of which are borderline superstars in the future in my opinion with Donovan Mitchell and then Darius Garland I gotta talk about him last season he averaged almost 22 points per game and eight assists and did it efficiently three level scorer shoots threes off the dribble this is him only in his third year he's still i think 22 years old so he's going to continue to get better that guy i can't rule out becoming a borderline top 10 player in the future like kind of on dame's level right like dame was i think 22 is a rookie 21 22 is a rookie and wasn't as good as darius garland was last year like darius garland was phenomenal and how much he's improved in only a couple seasons i would still expect him to continue to improve even more so in the future like i think donovan or i think donovan mitchell is a borderline all nba guard i think darius garland might be better than donovan mitchell in a couple years so you have a backcourt that's a top two backcourt in the league. And then Evan Mobley, who knows how good he could be. Defensively, he's phenomenal. Offensively, he can handle the ball. He's shown flashes of being able to shoot. He's agile as a seven-footer. I think offensively, he could be kind of what AD became. Maybe not as good as AD offensively when AD was averaging, I don't know, 25, 26 a game. But I think he can become a, you know a really 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 good third piece so i think in the future they have the upside of being top five on both ends of the court they just have to surround themselves with role players with portland it was you need that you need that other star and then even if you traded for a paul george that still might not be enough and then you don't have the young pieces like a evan mobley or a jared allen so you're going all in on a team that might not be good enough whereas with cleveland you're kind of going all in on this core, but this core I think will be good enough and you have so many years to put the right pieces around them. Yeah, I think it's the it's a point where, you know, Cleveland makes his trade for Donovan Mitchell and he's probably their best player right now. But as you said, Darius Garland could become better than Donovan Mitchell. I think Evan Mobley will be better than Donovan Mitchell, probably be their best player. You looked at Minnesota's situation this season again, Rudy Gobert may be the best player on the team right now, but Carlton Towns still, still could be better. Anthony Edwards still could be better. I think with the Portland situation, no matter who you were bringing in, Dame was going to be the best player, right? And the, the guy you traded wasn't going to be better. So I think it's a good trade for Cleveland. And I think in general in the NBA, you do want to go all in if you can, right? If you can get that guy who is your best player, but you still have young players on the team that could be better than him, and then you end up getting more stars, more elite players. I think that's how you build you build the team. So it's tough because I always wanted to trade in Portland because I just felt like you got to try to get as much stuff as you can for Damian Lillard. But if you would have sacrificed everything 
and it doesn't work out, that's when you get in trouble. We've seen what happens you know, with Brooklyn back in the day when they traded for uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. It just doesn't work out. So it's it's a tough spot. I think it's a really interesting direction that the NBA has really turned to of draft picks don't matter. We're going to trade them all uh, and try to get as many good players as we can. It's kind of like the Los Angeles Rams strategy in the NFL, right? Like that's what they're doing. They don't care about draft picks. They're just going to bring in star players and then find other people to fill out the roster. I, I, I'm really excited to see how this works in Cleveland and in Minnesota this year. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. The thing is, is Cleveland probably has a better bench than Damian Lillard has ever had in Portland. Because as you said, Karis LeVert and Ricky Rubio, hopefully he can bounce back from his injury. But also, they still have Kevin Love, who bounced back last season, was actually very solid off the bench. And he's like the perfect third big man to put next to Jared Allen, or they can stagger Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, so Mobley plays center with the bench unit, and Kevin Love plays well next to both those guys. So, six, seven, and eighth men are probably better than anything Damian Lillard has ever had in Portland. So that's another key piece of this, is they might already have the right role players around them. You got Isaac Okoro as the starting three, who's a really good defensive piece. Floor spacing might be an issue because he can't really shoot, but he does give them that defensive upside. It's like the perfect defensive front court to put next to an undersized backcourt that struggles to defend. And this is where I want to compare it to Portland as well where that's what Portland's always had with Damon CJ. Now they have it with Damon Ant. And the narrative, and I think next season is a season of narratives for Portland and seeing what things are possible with an undersized backcourt that can't defend, right? Because uh, they've pursued a defensive identity for the first time in years. You know, they're undersized, but they got some really good defensive pieces going into this next season. But the narrative's been you can't win with an undersized backcourt that struggles to defend. In Cleveland, they're going to test that narrative because they have the perfect defensive frontcourt next to Garland and Mitchell, who I think have similar defensive issues that Damon CJ had and that Damon Ant will probably have. So it's going to be interesting to see how good Cleveland is on the defensive end because their backcourt reminds me of what Portland's backcourt's always been on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And we saw Portland have a couple really good seasons. Uh, that season we talked about last podcast, when they lost to the Pelicans in the first round, got swept. They had a top 10 defense, right? Like their defense was good. So it is possible, like you said, and it seems like Cleveland's got the pieces to build around Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. I think they've done a really good job um, in this quick little rebuild that they had after, you know, losing LeBron and uh, making some draft picks. They made some, made some smart moves, and now it looks like they're going to be uh, real contenders in the Eastern Conference this year. Yep, absolutely. So anything else you wanted to touch on in regards to evaluating that trade? No, nah, man, I'm, I'm good with that trade, man. I think it's another interesting trade. Trade season's kind of over. Woj even said that, you know, Durant's not going to be traded. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was. Rudy Gobert was. It seems like the offseason's kind of officially over now. We kind of know what the rosters are going to be set. So Having said that, you know, I want to talk about the Blazers a little bit. Now we kind of know their roster for sure. It wasn't really going to change anyways, but, uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of the unofficial end of the offseason after that trade. I got a couple uh, I got a couple questions for you, Tori, and it's, it's a game I want to call uh, over-under. You know, I'm a big betting guy. I uh, host Bet the Game on 750 The Game on Saturday and Sunday, 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, so catch me there if you want to talk about some betting with me. At, you know, hit me up at Steven underscore VON. Give me your best bets. Uh, right now, you know, college football, I made some made some nice bets. Go ahead and listen. Uh, you would have won some money. but uh, So I want to throw some a couple at you, Tori, about the Blazers. 
Uh, just get your take on it real quick. Just in the off season right now, of course, things can change, but uh, it's just some just some thoughts that I had, and I made up some of these lines as well. So these aren't official lines, but I made them up. The first one I want to start out with, and we talk about this guy a lot, is Anthony Simons, right? He was so good last season, those 30 games that he played. If the Blazers are really to make that next step, he's kind of got to be the, you know, the guy, right? He's got to be the second place player in the team. If I go over under Anthony Simons, 20 and a half points per game this year, what would you say? You had to throw in the half, man. I was going to go over 20, but 20 and a half. Yeah. Um, Can he get I to would, 21? I would say that's tough because CJ was always like right around 21 or so, but CJ also took over the offense a little bit more than I think Anthony Simons will, but Anthony Simons is a better catch and shoot player. I think the Blazers are going to play faster this year, and I think he's going to run the bench unit, so for that reason... Oh, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. But I would go over. I think he's going to get slightly more. So for context, in the 30 games that he started last season, he averaged 22 points a game. So for how well he played, he still was at 22 in those starts. Uh, so I, I actually think it's going to be a little less. I think he might be at 20. But I don't think 20 and a half. I think with the half point, I would take the under. Uh, I think it's the same thing. Like you said, he's going to have a lot of say in the offense. And we want to see him... Uh, expand his game, especially at the free throw line. I just don't necessarily know if he's going to be ready to do that uh, on a consistent basis. He's going to have games where he goes for 35, right? But I think there's going to be some games where he gets lost a little bit in the offense because the the Blazers still have some offenses firepower, right? Jeremy Grant is going to get the ball some. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic is going to get the ball some. So I think Avery Simons may get lost a little bit some in some games just because he is so young still. Um, and he's going to have some games where he gets you know 10, 11, 12 points and maybe has an off night. So for that, I think it's going to be under, but it's going to be just just slightly under. Honestly, my opinion on this answer will change multiple times before the start of the <laughs> yeah, season. Yeah, no, no doubt. That's a that's a that's a perfect line. Vegas should hire you for that one. Anyway, hey, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I I agree. They should hire me. Uh, so uh, I, this is another one that I've had some talks with you know other media members about who's going to be the starting three, right? It seems like the top guy is Josh Hart. It seems like most people think it's going to be him. Maybe Nasir Little. I have a dark horse in Justice Winslow. I think he may get some starts this season. Chauncey Billups has talked about how he really likes him. If I'm asking who gets the most starts this season between Josh Hart and Nasir Little, Justice Winslow, what's your answer? My answer would be Nasir Little. It's funny that media is predicting Josh Hart. I was thinking Josh Hart as well, but then Eric Brandt, uh, my co-host on my YouTube channel... Uh, apparently it sounds like Nasir Little is the front runner right now going into the season, according to him. And he definitely has a, has some solid sourcing there. So because of what he said, I'd probably go Nasir Little, but I don't know if Nasir Little can stay healthy for an entire season. And I still think he has to prove it on the court. He hasn't proven that he can consistently shoot the three ball or consistently defend off the ball well. He's a pretty good on-ball defender, in my opinion. He's just been inconsistent. Part of that has been that he hasn't been able to stay healthy. But, you know, I think this year is the year where he needs to prove it consistently. If he does, he'll get paid next offseason. So, I would probably go Nasir Little right now, but if not Nasir Little, I would go with Josh Hart simply because I think Winslow is going to be the backup four man right now. I uh, I agree. I think it's Nasir Little, and you're right on with that. It's he's got to prove it this year, right? I mean, we had this talk just you know before we started recording of what what is Nasir Little right now, right? Like 
is he a solid player in the NBA? Has he proven anything in the NBA? I, and I said, I don't really know that he's actually proven that he's an NBA player. You kind of you know push back a little bit, but it could be argued either way, right? Like he's been hurt a lot. He's been very inconsistent. I think he's got to find some type of consistency. And for him to get mm-hmm. paid next season, he's going to have to develop that jump shot and be a consistent jump shooter. Because like you said, he is a solid on-ball defender and he has the skills to be a good on-ball defender, right? Like really strong, really long, really athletic, but he hasn't put it all together. So I think he's going to get the first crack. And if he stays healthy and has a good season, I think the answer is to see a little. I think second place for me would be Justice Winslow. I think with this lineup that they have, if you look at his aunt and it's Dame and it's Jeremy Grant, Nurk, they need that guy who's going to go out and just guard the best player on the team. And that would be Justice Winslow. He did that last season when the Blazers were tanking and it wasn't a real season, but he did that when they beat the Lakers, right? He went after LeBron, got a couple steals on him. I think that could be Justice Winslow's role where it's kind of like the Nikola Batum role back in the day when he was a rookie. He'd start a few, start the few first few minutes, guard the best player on the other team, then get taken out and may not even see any more action for the first half. Same with the second half. So I think Winslow has a role in this team as kind of that defensive stopper as long as he can stay healthy as well. Let me just be honest, man. I would be upset if Justice Winslow was the starting three. <laughs> I think the biggest issue with that is next to Dame, Ant, and Grant, you'd have two non-shooters. If he could shoot threes, then I'd be very open to him being the starting three. The problem is, is his three-point shot is just absolutely trailed off the past couple years, and I feel like spacing would be an issue. And you don't want spacing to be an issue on Dame and Nurkic pick and rolls or Ant and Nurkic pick and rolls. Like, you want to give those guys space because that's going to make that pick and roll even deadlier. If you have Justice Winslow spotting up or he can cut in certain situations, but you don't want to clog the paint up too much, I just think spacing could be an issue which is why i'm not enamored with justice winslow being the starting three and i think Nas, if he cleans up some of his off the ball mistakes he makes defensively could be that type of defensive guy while also being a better three-point shooter he just has to do it consistently as you said because he'll have one month where he shoots 40 some percent and then he'll have one month where he shoots 25 percent but at least he has those stretches where he shoots the three ball well which is more than i can say for justice winslow so josh hart is probably the most proven three-point shooter and he's not even all that great but he's okay he's solid enough and he can space the floor it's just defensively can he be that lockdown guy I think he's a good on-ball defender but I don't know if he's at the level that Nasir Little can reach or that Justice Winslow is at so I think that's what you're weighing when talking about starting those three guys no I I agree with you it's it should be Nasir Little right like he should be the answer to this question but he just got to prove it and I think we both can agree Josh Hart is a better backup player than a starting NBA player. And, and I don't agree with my answer like that Justice Winslow should be starting. I wouldn't start Justice Winslow. If I was the head coach of the Blazers, he would not be starting. I don't know how much he'd be playing. But Chauncey Billups said such good things about him last season, numerous times in the postgame, is that I just, I have a feeling that he may just rely a little bit more on that veteran rather than go with a younger guy in the Sear Little we will uh, wait and see for that. I got one more over-under here. Those weren't really over-unders, but this one is a true over-under here. And this one is so impossible to know what the answer is, Tori. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say and what your reasoning is behind it. But the rookie, Shaden Sharp, he you know seems to be back. He should be healthy when during the NBA season starts, regular season. Uh, I'm going to go over-under 55 and a half games played. What do you think about games that? played. Um, 
because he doesn't have a defined yeah. he doesn't have a defined role, right? Is he going to yeah. play every day? Is he going to get hurt? Is he going to be in the G League? Is he going to be a good player? We don't know. Like I, I'm really excited to hear what you think about that. Well, since we're getting 63 blowout wins this year, no, nah. I'm just um, 55. Ah, uh, I. W- Man, what would you go? What, I want to hear you answer your own question first while I think about this. I will answer my own question. I think it's over. I think it's okay. over, and the reason why I do is I think he's gonna get he's gonna get a crack at the start of the season. And I have a lot of faith in Shaden Sharp. I think he can fill a role in this team that the Blazers don't necessarily have with the long wingspan and the scoring ability, right? I mean, even the one shot he hit in several league is like not many guys on the Blazers can make that shot. And so I do think that he's going to get the first crack at it. And I'm hoping that he does really well in that role. Now, would I be surprised if he struggles and he's in the G League and not playing and is not good this year? Not at all. I wouldn't be surprised. I think the floor and the ceiling for Shane Sharp this season is so big. It could go either way. But I do have faith and I love the draft pick when it happened. I kind of have a little bit of faith in Shane Sharp. I may be crazy for thinking that, but I kind of do. I have faith in him too. I would probably lean towards going under on that, though, because I think he'll get a chance to start the season, but at some point, I think the Blazers will whittle down their rotation, and I'm not entirely confident that he makes that final rotation, because you do have a lot of good wings in Portland. The other thing is, with the injury possibility, like, we don't know if he can stay healthy, we don't know if he's going to be injury prone. I mean, he hasn't played for two years, man. Yeah, yeah, and then gets hurt six minutes into his first summer league game. I'm not saying he's injury prone. Since we're talking about injuries, I will knock on wood right now so I don't <laughs> jinx anything. So nobody can say I jinx it's not, anything. It's not our fault. It's not our fault. Yeah, yeah, no liability here. Um, but there's always the chance that he gets hurt and misses some time due to that. So given that and the fact that I'm not entirely confident he can be in the main rotation for the second half of the season, I will lean towards under. It's, it's, a, it's a really tough question, I think, because – Again, we have no idea what he is, right? We just talked about we haven't seen him play in two years. Maybe he is a dead-eye shooter. Maybe he's one of the best shooters in the league. I don't know. I I haven't seen him play. And so it's so unpredictable of what he could be. I just love the potential. I love what I have seen in videos and in practice and all this kind of stuff. So I want to have faith in it, man. I want to have faith that the tanking season worked out for something and the Blazers get the seventh pick in the draft. They draft Shane Sharp. And then you can go back and say, okay, this is the reason why the Blazers tanked. It was to get this guy, and this guy's going to be great at some point in his career. Yeah, I hope he plays more because he earns it, because that's a really good thing for the Blazers long term. And that's the that's the other thing, is if the Blazers aren't good, which I seem to be on an island, you know, I don't know that they're necessarily going to be very good. If they end up losing some guys, he could play at the end of the year just like they did last year when Trenton Watford and Greg Brown are starting games, right? So if it does go bad, he could get, he could get the game plays that way. Yep, we need to write down all these over-unders and then after the season, look back and see who is right, see who is wrong. We'll do like win predictions for teams, maybe just a full uh, standings predictions for Eastern and Western conferences and write those down and then we can look at it after the season. Hopefully we're looking at it in late June or early July because the Blazers go on a playoff run, but hopefully it's not another season like this past year, but if it is, then that's some good mid-April content. Yeah, we're going to need some content. On. If it's bad, it's if it's bad basketball, man, it, that's tough to fill content. I don't I don't think people realize how hard it is to uh talk Blazers when it, they've been tanking all season. Yeah, I will say this though, this year's NBA draft is freaking loaded. Like we had the 7th pick 
in the wrong year. <laughs> I, li- I like Shaden Sharp, and it could absolutely turn out that that was a phenomenal get. But compared to this past year's draft, next year's draft is absolutely loaded. And it's loaded with the types of players that I think would help the Blazers, like the types of prospects that the Blazers need. There's a lot of quality forwards in the top 10 of next year's draft. So I, you know, I don't want to take, I'm not sitting here advocating for, oh, well, it's fine if we lose. No, we need to win this year. Like we need to make progress. We need, I'm praying for a playoff run and all of that. Um, But if it does go south again, I mean, I, I don't know if I could handle a second year in a row of that bad basketball, but if it does go south again, uh, the draft is absolutely loaded. So that would obviously be the silver lining, but um, that's probably the last I'm going to talk about that scenario because I don't even like thinking about it. No, yeah. I, 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 we're going to bring it, I'm bringing it up one more time. Would it, would it surprise you? Let's just say Shane Sharp gone back to Kentucky. What if he was a top five pick? Like that could potentially be true as well. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, that's my thing with Shane Sharp is like, I hate that I don't know what he is, but I also love that I don't know what he is. I love the unknown, right? Like, it's so intriguing to me of what he could be. So, I mean, he's he's the number one guy that I'm excited to watch play because I just haven't seen him play. I want to see what he can do, and I'm hoping that it, it was all worth it to tank last year. Yeah, in preseason, it's going to be even more fascinating because he didn't play in Summer League. Summer League was the time to kind of figure out, Yeah. oh, well, okay, this is what he is at this level. Um, obviously it's not the NBA level, but you could get a taste, you know, an, an appetizer, so to say. We didn't even get that, so we're starving for some shade and sharp. We got we got one fa- baseline fadeaway. We got one baseline fadeaway. That's all we Beautiful got. Beautiful move. It was Beautiful a great move, move too. <laughs> I wish you would have yeah. missed it so that I wasn't so intrigued by him. <laughs> I mean, it's ooh. I'm ready for preseason. This is going to be the most fascinating preseason because you got Jeremy Grant in a Blazer uniform. That'll just be cool to see, I guess. You know, Nasir Little, is he ready for a breakout season? We'll be able to potentially tell in preseason. Last preseason, he came out the first game. It was like 0 for 10 with four turnovers or something like that. It was terrible in his first preseason game. It was much better after that, but um, hopefully Nasir Little comes out much better this preseason. But the number one thing to watch in preseason is obviously Shane and sharp and maybe being able to see what he does at an even higher level than summer league yeah and i'm ready for someone to bust out like the harry giles preseason and then i have to hear about <laughs> harry giles all year about how he should play <laughs> were you not a harry giles fan oh, at all no or? i was not <laughs> me and man. me and chad man when we were talking post game every time people calling in like harry giles needs to play and we would just get so mad it was yeah man don't get me started on that guy yeah, see, you're you're gonna give me star out here, Giles. Man, <laughs> I just think he wasn't in the right right situation. Well, why is he not in the league then? I mean, he didn't. Because he's not guys good. like that that are injury prone. Normally, teams don't want to take up a, a roster spot with the injury prone guy that's not that good, <laughs> right? Because that just becomes a waste. And you normally you want those guys in case guys get hurt. You don't want your 12th, 13th guys getting hurt, but. I mean, he could always pass the ball and was, I think, agile as a defender. wasn't a rim protector, but I feel like in a Chauncey Billups system, he would have had more of a chance to stick in the league than in a Terry Stotts system. Like, his 
his passing just wasn't utilized with a bench unit that could have used a big man that could pass. So that was one of my biggest frustrations. Like when he did play, it, this dude can pass the ball. That's like maybe his best skill at the NBA level and didn't utilize it at all. It was, he's a pick and roll big and drop, drop scheme and having to protect the rim where he's better, maybe trapping or hedging out of river. So that was my frustrations with Harry Giles. I just opened up old wounds with you. I will say, um, <laughs> I probably would rather have Harry Giles that Drew Eubanks as my backup center right now, so uh, yeah, I'm okay yeah. with that. You know what's funny is back in 2017, I participated in a mock draft. It was Chad doing. It was Brian Wheeler was there. It was for um, for Rip City Radio, and I drafted Harry Giles, and I think Chad <laughs> railed on the pick. And uh, that was the first time I didn't even I didn't even talk to Chad. I was super shy back then, man. But I drafted Harry Giles for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think was my team at seventeenth overall, and that uh, did not pan out whatsoever. So, uh, but I've always liked Harry. But that Giles, goes to but... show, right? Like at pick seventeen, you can pick guys with high potential, and it doesn't work out, right? Yeah. So, like that. Going back to our first conversation of look to trade Damian Lillard for six first round picks. Well, yeah, but when they're in the in the teens or the twenties. It's tough to draft even role players at that point, so it's never a given. So I, I, you know, and I'm I'm the guy that says, you know what, they need to entertain trading Dame, but it's it's not for these type of packages. So I, I totally agree with you, man. I'm ex- I'm excited for this season, though. I will say, you know, the Blazers, no matter if they're good or bad, they are very intriguing on what they do with the rotations, uh, who gets playing time, just how these guys perform and get better. There's a lot of questions I have for the Portland Trailblazers. I think I have a lot. I have a lot more questions about the Blazers than I do a lot of other teams of the Western Conference. But it seems like the Blazers could be either you know really good if it all clicks, or it could be you know really bad again, just like it was a season ago. Yep, uh, I think at the very least you're going to have a team that plays hard and plays more team-oriented offense and plays aggressive on defense. That is a fun team to watch, even if they're 500. The, the the teams of years past that were very ISO heavy and were last in the league in assists and then only ran one defense and it was a super conservative defense. Sure, it won a lot of regular season games. I don't think it translated to the playoffs, but it also wasn't as fun as watching a team that goes out there, tries to force turnovers, plays fast, plays hard, and then moves the ball more offensively. So that's what I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing this year. Me as well, man. I'm, uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting excited. Just a little over a month away, man, and it'll be here. Media Day is in 23 days, and we will talk about quotes uh, on a podcast after Media Day. Might have to do two a week that week. I don't know. We might do more than one a week at some point in time if the situation calls for it, but just count on one a week from us. That wraps up this episode of the Believe in Blazers podcast. As I said at the start of the episode, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can find audio-only versions. There's a link in the description box below if you're listening to us on Spotify or Google Podcasts or somewhere else you can come check out our video feed on blazers uprise live which is my second streaming channel on youtube uh just go to youtube and search blazers uprise live and you'll find it you can follow me on twitter at tory jones yt that's t-o-r-e-y jones yt and you can follow steven at steven vaughn that's s 
S-T-E-V-E-N underscore V-O-N. Follow us on Twitter. Give us suggestions if you want to see, you know, certain segments as we head into the season. I'd be down to have a couple regular segments that maybe are unique to this podcast. So we would always love some feedback and trying to bring you guys what you want to hear, what you want to listen to in regards to this podcast. So with that being said, Stephen, anything else? No, man, that's uh, that's it. And uh, enjoy football season coming back and then the mm-hmm. NBA coming back. You know, sports season. Sports season's back. Let's get it going. Yep, I got my fantasy draft later tonight for the NFL. So wish me luck. <laughs> Good luck, man. With, with that being said, that's a wrap for this podcast. We'll catch you guys later. As always, peace out. Go Blazers. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.